listening to The One Room with a View show with Christopher Preston and Dan Orton. Hello and welcome to The One Room with a View show. My name is Christopher Preston and joining me today is the chosen one himself. It's Mr. Dan Orton. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Yeah, good. It's really good to be here. I feel like we've been waiting our entire broadcasting career for what's going to be (laughs) unfolded on today's show. Obviously, obviously, we couldn't do a podcast in December of 2015 and it not be Star Wars The Force Awakens. Indie gamble that is Star Wars (laughs) The Force Awakens. Um, (laughs) So, Like everyone else on iTunes and SoundCloud, I think. (laughs) We're doing all the normal features... Everything in this podcast is getting a bit of a Star Wars twist. Aside from one, which uh, is is something that you want to listen to as well at the end of the year. Yes. Something old, something new is obviously Star Wars The Force Awakens, episode seven. And comparing that or looking back all the way to 1977 to the original Star Wars, which later to be known as episode four, A New Hope. We're also doing a sort of special... Challenge Chris Dan. I don't want to say his yeah. name again. But it's not. It's like Pazuzu. You say its name again, I think it just turns on somewhere. It's not the one that Dan gave me last Yeah, we'll it's do not that, that next... one. It's not Scorpion King. Yeah, we'll do that this next is year. a kind of... Something even worse yeah, yeah. than those four films combined. We're just shoehorning an extra thing in, like the war doctor of, of challenges. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a reference. <laughs> I thought so. Then we're doing The Shelf as well. And that is going to be one of the Star Wars films. Mm. We won't say which one. Yeah. But one of the seven. Try it's going guess. up on the shelf. <laughs> Try and guess which one we th- it might be. Because we've knocked out, what, four of them? <laughs> <laughs> or five now? Back by popular demand, which Chris said this. Yep. The Star Wars special. And we'll be ending the show, ending the year, discussing our respective top tens. I think when, both of them are still in flux as we speak. I mean, yes, I don't even think I've quite locked it all in. It could change by the, an hour from now when we actually start discussing it. Right, should we crack on? Well, I mean, we're both wearing Christmas jumpers, so... We are? Yes. There has been an awakening. Have you felt it? Some film old, some film new. That was great. Thank you, Chris. So, some film old, some film new. This month, we are looking at Star Wars The Force Awakens, J.J. Abrams' sort of rejuvenation of the Star Wars saga. A comeback. A comeback, Uh, A homecoming. I mean, the amount of pressure that must have been on that man, I I can't even imagine. But anyway, we'll get on to that. He's got black hair. How's he managed that? (laughs) And I've never seen his glasses steamed up once. No. Well... I thought they were just going to find him in a wardrobe on, like, December the 16th (laughs) or something like that. I didn't think think he'd even make the premiere. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. No, well played to J.J. Abrams. Good luck. And then we're going to cast our minds back. I mean, we, we weren't there at the time. But try to cast our minds back to... Sometimes it feels like it, but... <laughs> 1977, when Star Wars hit cinemas mm. for the first time ever, written and directed. <laughs> but not the last. But not the last. <laughs> and certainly and not even for that a, film. And in a strange order. Before we start, we should just say, just for the listeners, we are on Periscope at the moment. Although I know this podcast will come out, it might be slightly different. We're, we feel like we are being watched. We've got our editor in, we've got Periscope in. Yeah, we're trying a strange medium of sort of an audio audience and also yeah. a, a visual one as well. So we'll bring this back out in like 30 years anyway, full of new CGI and you yeah, know, new presenters. I'll shoot you first this time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's get on. How should we start this? We're, we're well, going to do a, the first non spoilerific conversation, but we will ultimately get to the full story. Yeah, I think let's try to do something non spoilery for a while. Yeah, uh, it and will be well signposted. We'll don't worry. give you the warning as to when it's going to go into spoiler territory. Now, the Force is what gives the Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It 
surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. Star Wars, George Lucas's... Heartbeat, heartbeat I think is what yes, you want to his say. His life story. Yeah. Written and directed by George Lucas, the first one. Which he wouldn't do again until well, that trilogy yeah, that until must not be named. Trilogies. So I watched A New Hope, as it would subsequently be known as, after the two further films. I watched A New Hope last night in preparation for this. Mm. There's a lot, of, um, a lot of thematic links between A New Hope and The Force Awakens, Yeah. you say. And even plot beats, I think, that they both share more than just a name. They yeah. have the same blood and bones, mm. almost. Together, a deliberate, don't they? deliberate ploy? Almost, surely. A hundred percent. Absolutely. What The Force Awakens does is, almost from the outset, turns around and says, don't worry this time, you're in safe hands, mm. okay? We're not going to reinvent the wheel. And The Force Awakens does not reinvent the wheel. Oh, if it ain't broke. And when it was broke, well, well, they well, did well, fix yes, it. Actually, yeah, they fixed it. But <laughs> what it clearly says in a very cuddly, comforting, warm, Christmas jumpery way, is you're in safe hands, don't worry. Kick back, you're going to enjoy the next two hours. You're going to love this film. Chewie, we're home. Did you enjoy the two hours and 16 minutes of, of The Force Awakens? I more than enjoyed it. I fell in love with it all over again. I think it's impossible to watch now either A New Hope or The Force Awakens without an element of nostalgia. Mm. I remember A New Hope I kind of fell in love with because it's one of the first cinematic experiences I can remember. In one of the re-releases, I remember it How came old out. Are you? <laughs> as old as time. <laughs> but in one of the kind of re-releases that has happened since 77, my father took me to, and it was Lakeside Cinema, it was like the most local cinema at that time to us. And for three consecutive Saturdays, we went to see the original trilogy together. That was like a real father-son bonding thing for us. So I yeah. can't watch a new hope without that lens of nostalgia. That's very nice. I mean, obviously, there's a bit of a subjectiveness there. Mm, of course there is. Um, and, but that's, I think, that's just Star Wars in general. It is such a cultural phenomenon. I think mm. we've said that about some films recently. But Star Wars is just huge, and I like how you say you fell in love with it. I think people do fall in love with this film in the way that they don't, they don't have those feelings for any other franchise. Mm. I actually feel bad calling it a franchise. I know that perhaps sounds a bit pretentious, but to call it a franchise no, I know what you mean. cheapens it in a way. I agree. It's... I think franchise has become a dirty word now, hasn't it? When we think of franchise... <laughs> franchises I made sure I, sh I should say full disclosure I made sure I was at the midnight screening of The Force Awakens um, trying to desperately recapture that 77 magic or or perhaps more when Empire Strikes Back you know you the queues yes. around the corner yeah, kind of thing yeah. uh, and I wanted to make sure I did because I feel like Star Wars is now going to become a franchise Bizarre thing to say after now seven films. Mm. But now that the, the Disney machine has kind of grabbed hold of it... and <laughs> well, it's and a film every year. It's a film now, every year it? for the next, the you know, long, three generations. Yeah, once we're cold, dead in the ground. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's why I think that it's now leaning towards this franchise. But you're right. Star Wars, I think, has always offered slightly more than what we would think of these tentpole films. Mm. Particularly because for years and years and years, we didn't know if we would ever get this sequel trilogy. No, an interesting fact. This is the first Star Wars film. I mean, you know what you know what I'm like, my little tidbits of trivia. Of course, yeah. This is this will be the first Star Wars film where the the order it's come out actually matches the order it is in the chronology of the films. So, for okay. example, this is the seventh Star Wars film, and it is episode seven. Yeah, tune yeah. in, tune in for more. <laughs> Although I suppose that then messes up next year when Rogue One comes out. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. With the um, anthology. Yeah, films. this will be the only film ever. Yeah, the only one ever. It actually will be consecutively in the right place in the timeline. I want to discuss a new hope. I've been waiting for you all the while. We meet again at last. The circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. I mean, it wasn't just it wasn't just the first Star Wars. It was almost I mean, as a as a piece of film. Mm. 
in the same way that I think Jurassic Park would change cinema in 1993 and yeah. how Peter Jackson changed things at Lord of the Rings in the early noughties. 1977, there'd not been something like this no, apart really? from all of the films that George Lucas ripped off. <laughs> all of these kind of Asian films that end up, you know, Kurosawa. Well, and... Details, details. Yeah, details, details, fair enough. But no, you're right, in something that had mainstream such an Hollywood. Impact, and in mainstream Hollywood, George Lucas famously showed this to all of his sort of director friends, mm. and all but one of them said it would be a complete flop. And the, the, the only one was Spielberg, wasn't Spielberg it? Was Spielberg was the only says, one yeah. who was faithful to it. He said, no, this is going to make millions of dollars. And of course Spielberg was, was right, as he often is. His... Magic ball. <laughs> his magic ball. His instinct is never is very rarely wrong. And, and there you have it. You have this huge cultural icon is born in 1977 mm. and had such a, an amazing impact on the world of film and on, on audiences. Well, I think it comes down to this bulletproof nature of Star Wars, doesn't it? It's that, you, you know, no one thought A New Hope was going to work. And on paper, it probably shouldn't. If you have a look at any of the behind-the-scenes footage, it seemed like it was just one calamity after another. Yes. Uh, you had... Uh, Harrison Ford was not particularly happy about being involved. Uh, Alec Guinness, notably, was saying about what it was a load of rubbish. Mark Hamill is kind of shaky because this is his first yeah. film appearance after yeah. a string of kind of... Yes, of course, TV. Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and indeed Harrison Ford, all new talents, all, you know, Yeah, untested. I mean, Ka Carrie Fisher, I think the only thing she'd done is maybe a couple of adverts. She, she, I know she had a very famous mother and father and kind of wanted to step out of the limelight. But no one was hugely committed to, to, to it. And then if you think, you know, and then when our childhoods, you have the disastrous prequel trilogy, yes. the fact that, that people are touting The Force Awakens could become the highest grossing film of all time is nothing short of a miracle. Yeah. A midi-chlorian-fueled no. miracle. But I mean, I, I think we need to give George Lucas a lot of credit here. Everyone sort of says what a disaster yeah, he was unfortunately, as a director. History has mugged him, really, History has it? mugged him, but this is a man who... The mythology of this series... Mm. The story that he came up with is incredible. I mean, I know it, you know, it's a very basic kind of the hero's journey, but it's so fascinating. These films are so full of imagination. Mm. But if, if he hadn't have so meticulously crafted that scaffolding, we wouldn't have the wonder that is The Force Awakens with us now. Yeah. Like, we truly wouldn't. I think what J.J. Abrams gets right is that the Force Awakens is almost uh, a kind of an exhibit in the Museum of Star Wars. Is that again to say that at the beginning he he crafts something that is a love letter to Star Wars. Mm. When we see the sons of Jakku and uh, the sand and the wind and the explosions and the lasers, these are all things that are very much part of a Lucasian world. They, yeah. that, that, that they that you can feel the elements and know in your heart that these are elements that could have whipped through Chewbacca's hair, that could have uh, tanned Luke Skywalker's face. It feels like a film set within that world. And yeah, all, all credit to Lucas for that. You, can't, you yeah. can't. And I mean, to go back to what you said there about Alec Guinness very briefly, he, there is some debate as to how he felt about the films. Mm. Obviously, there's, it's on record that he would always, you know, never, apparently never opened his fan mail about Star Wars, told a child that, you know, he was a big fan, never to watch them again. Punched him in the face. <laughs> Punched him in the face and carried on his day. But uh, by all accounts... And that actually... boy would grow to be J.J. Abrams. <laughs> by all accounts, he really enjoyed, as he put it, the narrative of, of the film. Yeah. With the first well, he was probably a big fan of Kurosawa, that's why. <laughs> Lucas chucked a bag over his head and bundled it into the Hollywood van. I mean, let's, let's be honest, the script for A New Hope isn't... Well, the, in terms of the dialogue, it's appalling. The dialogue is, is yeah. great. Uh, this way, but I love the story. The dialogue is, is sometimes 
dreadful. Cack, I think um, is the word. Which really. is something that is, is, is mercifully solved with uh, The Force Awakens. Well, you can tell there is a leap between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back, and obviously they were going to then bring those dual of Well, writers. the leap being that, that George Lucas was pushed away from writing Yeah, booted out, and you've got Lawrence Cassadan, don't you? Yeah, uh, Bringing it back, yeah. back for The Force Awakens from a script by Michael Arndt, is it, who did Toy yeah. Story 3? Yeah. You know, so safe hands, again... Safe, safe. Fans. Well, I don't think they were going to make take any chances. I think they? we need to move into our conversation about the Force Awakens. Should we put our spoiler warning up now? Uh, yes. All right. Nothing will stand in our way. I will finish what you started. Here be spoilers. The Force Awakens. First off, the bat, as I said earlier, Abrams has done an absolutely sterling job. It's an incredible feat. I mean, you know, as I say this is probably the most anticipated film of all time, perhaps. All time, possibly all time. Yeah. Um, certainly this year. Yeah, and I th- certainly think of the last 15 years. Like, mm. in terms of this millennium, we have had things like the culmination of Nolan's Batman trilogy. We have had the culmination of things like the inception and fin- uh, conclusion of The Lord of the Rings. We've had the Harry Potter films. I still think there's been more hype for this, somehow. No, you're right. And the hype hasn't ruined it. The hype paid off. It is a incredibly... It's a, I mean, it's just an amazing film. Yeah, it um, really is. And I, I was so worried, so worried, because I feel like I've had my hand burnt so many times before, <laughs> and by this franchise. Like, I've been scalded by this franchise at least twice, okay? And I was worried about, am I overhyping it? And I won't lie to you, I feel like, hopefully over the last however many podcasts we've done, the radio shows, etc., you must know that Dan and I are huge cinephiles. We are huge lovers of film. And hype can be such a... Uh, such a bad mistress, an evil mistress of these things. <laughs> it can trip us up at the last moment. It becomes very thin yes. ice to <laughs> skate upon. But somehow the Force Awakens hype, I don't know, it infused it with even more I loved every excitement. minute of the film. Mm. There was not a point where I was disappointed. No. It just carried me. It Chelsea <laughs> smiles you from the beginning, doesn't it? You get this grin from the, from the you know, moment. And I think it helped. I, mean, I think everyone in that audience were huge Star Wars fans anyway. Yeah. I could tell that the, the reactions throughout the film, you know, littered with oohs and ahs and kind of knowing chuckles. Yeah. From the very beginning right to the final frame, it's just, to try to sort of delve into the world of cliches but it's just a roller coaster ride. It and, really is. And, and it's so, so exhilarating. Yeah. And it's more or less everything I was expecting it and, to be. But and wanting to be as well. That's the thing, be. is perhaps wanting wanted... and expectations become cousins there, don't they? I think the way that, what the blinder that J.J. Abrams has, has really made, along with his team, and I, I don't want to just, I give all the plaudits to J.J. because everyone here is firing on all cylinders. <laughs> but what they seem to do so well is that they do create a nostalgic love letter, but it isn't constantly looking backwards. This is a no. film in its own right, and it, it wants was, to push us into the future. It was very smart to bring back the original trilogy of stars mm. that's really interesting that you know because that, that could have had the potential to go so so wrong it, but it could have but, just ended up being like kind of wheeling out yeah you know. but you know old old man old man solo yeah. and leia now not princess leia but general leia organa yeah. in charge of the resistance um and mark hamill's even mark hamill's sort of 32nd cameo at the end and fair play to his agent for getting him second billing for that I couldn't <laughs> so believe it yeah that was, a, that's, that was probably the, well, the, the greatest re- mystery of the film what, what, it, what <laughs> it ends up doing so well is that it says look we are going to play this safe but not in a bad way like we yeah. talked about Age of Ultron being really safe before and that, yes, that have, yeah. was for me not the right card to play at that point it was too safe for a film in my review that has been built upon this game of Hollywood poker the Age of Ultron felt too safe. This feels safe in a way that at the beginning, you've got the thundering John Williams music, you've got the opening scroll, and it goes from there, and it plays it 
like a Star Wars film. It doesn't try and reinvent itself. But yeah. what it does cleverly is that it takes the things that you love at the beginning, uh, from the beginning trilogy, and it layers them in, pun, um, rather than... <laughs> Yeah. smacking you over and the head you with look them. Closer, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's go solo for a moment. Uh, and uh, and <laughs> but it, it's if you if you if you look carefully, it doesn't put everything at the at the forefront. Like C three PO and R two D two are again in almost cameo style role. Yes, Luke Skywalker yeah. is the like Nick Fury at the end <laughs> of the film. It doesn't wallop you over the head. The the best things about this film is its renewed energy. The new stars. So impressive. John Boyega, again, the star of this film, and it is, is ridiculous and, and heinous uh, that, that the people are, are bringing this race card thing in. This oh. is not something that should even be thought about. It's ridiculous. Uh, mm. uh, he's, he's so wonderful. He's charming. He's a fantastic action star. He's so well acted. In fact, I'd say out of the, the three kind of brand new characters and new stars, I think he probably is the one who, who comes across the best out of it. And that is a difficult feat in that all of them are acting so well. But yeah, I love John Boyega. Daisy Ridley, again, a fantastic heroine to really root for. Yes. And Adam Driver actually creating a credible 3D, well-rounded, yes, he's compelling... Yes, he's a fascinating character. Yeah, very Terrifying compelling. villain. I felt the same chills watching The Force Awakens as I did watching Vader um, back in the day. I, I really am terrified of Kylo Ren and what he's capable of. Mm. It no, re really. Yes, that was, that's very well done. Shall we talk briefly before we, before we run out of time on this segment? The spoiler. The big, the big one, the big thing well, about this film. There's two, isn't there? And they're kind of interlinked in, in that um, that Kylo Ren is unmasked, if you will, to be the child of Han Solo and General Leia Organa. Yes. Yeah, uh, being the kind of first that's one. The, that's the big hitter, and then and so the, subtly done. Like yeah. I'm glad it was almost a throwaway line. You know, I love that. It wasn't a, I am your father. You'd be screwed moment. if you'd gone to the bathroom. Exactly. <laughs> it's almost kind of like, and that's another thing is that it doesn't put Star Wars on a pedestal, this film. It feels like a new film and it feels like the original trilogy came out last year. It's not this kind of big, yeah. ornamental, fragile thing. And they include things like that in a very subtle way. But I know what you're going to talk about. The big spoiler. So, the big, big spoiler. Yes, I don't think we can say it enough. Kylo Ren murders Han Solo in quite an emotional, emotionally charged yeah. scene on a bridge. Where yet again, it seems no health and safety. You know, when are they going to put a rail up just around need, those nightclubs? Have them <laughs> for God's sake! Yeah. When are we going to learn? Those bridges need. I mean, I wouldn't I, go. I on tell one. you what, just, just a simple handrail would, would suffice. Well, but anyway, old, um, old uh, Ford from his Indiana Jones day was thinking. I even had a rope on one of them, and that was precarious. Bloody hell! What am I doing on here? Such a well acted little scene there and you kind of know what's coming you, you're dreading it as mm. the audience member you don't want it to happen but you feel like it is inevitable and that's Kylo what... Ren is about to kill his father yeah. with, with, with that lightsaber well there is something so innately Freudian about the whole Star Wars epic isn't there mm. one only has to look at the uh, the kind of father-son relationship that was <laughs> Jeremy Cole show-esque <laughs> uh, um, yeah, father-son yeah. relationship from the original trilogy we feel ourselves in an echo again don't we this glass-like echo in uh, in this new trilogy and it did as soon as Han Solo steps out on that bridge you know he's gonna die you know he's, he's gone and I quite liked it that they didn't go down trying to play it as a twist mm. it was a very inevitable thing and I, I think even the fact that they brought back the original heroes you know one of them's got to go and yes. someone was saying afterwards they felt like Han Solo's death wasn't earned and I felt like because uh, he wasn't sacrificing himself and I thought I kind of liked it because he didn't it felt very cold it felt very awful and the fact that that, that man yes. that, that um, pirate that we see 
you know, strut into a new hope. It's a great arc for Han Solo. And we don't necessarily know what effect that is going to actually have on Kylo Ren as a character. Yeah. You've got two more films to go out of this. Mm. You know, you don't know, he could, that could have been the greatest sacrifice yeah. Han Solo ever makes. Exactly. And I think a lot of these things that people are complaining about, the fact that we only see Captain Phasma that was kind of really built up in the marketing for maybe, you know, a mm. couple of shots. But we've still got two films left, so don't worry. Yeah. I, I feel like there is a plan. Yes. So... Let's move on to Bob's. To Bob's. Let's let's rate these films. Okay, so do you want us to do A New Hope or The Force Awakens? Yeah, let's go with A New Hope. Okay. So the original Star Wars, unlike you, sorry, I don't have memories of seeing it for the first time. I, I, I know I must have seen it at some point, mm. but I don't think it made as huge an impact on me as these films oh, see, clearly had on you. See, for me, it, it's kind of uh, a, a, a jigsaw piece, a, jing, a Jenga piece almost from my childhood. I, can very, I have a very stark memory of watching the binary sunset scene, mm. which is perhaps one of the best scenes in A New Hope where Luke is yeah, looking yeah, out yeah, yeah. we've got the sun setting and that infamous music kicks in. So it's a five bob film for me. Okay, I'm giving it four. I can understand that. Because there's something, you know, I, the, the, the dialogue. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. But yeah, five bob for me. Is... Um, and let's be honest, the, the lightsaber duel between Vader and Obi-Wan is just two old men working sticks at each other. Yeah, there's something odd to look into that as well, I think. <laughs> but a re- I mean, an excellent, excellent film. And yeah. And the foundation in which... Just, yeah, the foundation in which, which everything else, in which George Lucas's house is built upon. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I can't I wouldn't give it any lower than four. And The Force Awakens, I'm going to go again for a clear five. It has to be a five-star film Undoubtedly. I don't know how you would... It, as I think you, you said before we started recording, this is either a really bad film or, or just an excellent film. Yeah. There are no in-between. We're having a, a very brief conversation about some of the reviews that have come out that have been four stars. And I said to Dan, I, I can't recognise that because of the hype and the emotion involved in this. I feel like it either had to be a one-star or a five-star yeah, film. Yeah, it had such... You know, it, as I say, it just, you know, drags you along throughout its... So enthralling and exhilarating. So Every funny. single frame of the film. Yeah, very funny, very witty, action-packed. I, I like how, you know, the, 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 the lightsaber duel at the end is very scrappy. and, yeah. and lightsaber duel for the ages, the Telegraph <laughs> said. And I said, yeah, I bloody agree with that. So it's, it's, that's a return to form for some of the lightsaber duels, which, you know, in, in, the, in the prequel trilogy yeah. kind of got a bit, maybe a bit OTT. Such interesting characters, so nice to see the original trilogy back. I feel that Leia was maybe a little underused. If we get away from the nostalgia, there is a lot of underusing of characters. Yes. Uh, Leia, Phasma, as I said, even Poe Dameron, uh, Oscar Isaac's character. Mm. But I still feel like those arcs are coming. Yeah, like I don't, I, I don't want every, I don't want everything in the first film because then in the second two films we've got nothing left. You know, yeah. I feel like I've had my starter. I want my main and dessert now. So, I mean, to sort of to paraphrase Supreme Leader Snoke, there has been an awakening. There has been and... an awakening, and it is a euphoric resurrection of this franchise. The Force. It's calling to you. Just let it in. Challenge. Chris. Challenge. Dan. Okay, we've brought this straight back. I know Dan said in the introduction, we have got an ongoing challenge. This is Dan's retribution uh, for me. Um, <laughs> sweet, sweet The sweetest, yeah. The sweetest and DVDs, coldest. Yeah. Well, do you know what? It was actually in the Amazon Black Friday deal, but it didn't come down enough. So if, uh, <laughs> if anyone's listening can actually help me out to uh, reiterate my... We need my... every one of the Scorpion King films. But I didn't even know until you told me that there was more than one. Yeah. And every single one of them has a different, apparently, Scorpion different, King. A different Scorpion King. I think yeah. Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the film I would watch. <laughs> Peter Capaldi as the Scorpion King. Yeah. Um, so, though, no, this is a brand new one. This is one for our, our themed episode, yeah, our Star Wars episode. Yeah, this is a one challenge. It well, could only be one thing today, couldn't it? What is it? It's 
The Star Wars Holiday Special from 1978. No matter how different we appear, we're all the same in our struggle against the powers of evil and darkness. I hope that this day will always be a day of joy in which we can reconfirm our dedication and our courage, and more than anything else, our love for one another. This is the promise of the Tree of Life. All one hour... 29 minutes of it or whatever it is the thing is that's without adverts and we all know that our American friends love an advert over this there must have taken it must have day. taken about two or three days you know this holiday special for anyone who doesn't know this was a show I think it came out on I th- believe it was CBS oh, yeah, in the States uh, just after A New Hope had, had kind of come out to, to nice fanfare you know yeah. why this didn't kill off the franchise, why anyone turned out for The Empire Strikes Back or Return I mean, of the Jedi I mean it's quite remarkable having now seen this film this well TV special whatever it is this insane collection of moving images mm. uh, and bizarre noises you know the, 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 and then someone else said you know what yeah okay we'll give you another one well that's the thing is that I, I, I say about how I don't know what deal George Lucas did with the devil <laughs> I don't know but it only reinforces the bulletproof nature of Star Wars that it can survive this yeah crap George Lucas of course being as legend devil. goes, tried to have every single copy of this film destroyed. Yeah, uh, and 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 hopes that no one ever watches it. And, um, it's now considered non-canon. Well, it were completely Disney. I think that's the first thing Disney did. I mean, it didn't really rise to such infamy until the nineties, uh, when I think like well, the I think in- when, when the new the prequel trilogy when the prequel to, trilogy was, and, was being made, and like when we still we had this kind of beginning network of the internet and things like that. And these bootleg copies began to rise yes, into into yeah. a much larger audience. I think they kind of managed to kind of keep it quiet. It was just more whisperers at conventions before anything else. It's it's an experience. So hang on, I feel like we need to do some kind of explain. plot for whatever it is. Try and put a net over. We'll try and piece this together. So Han Solo is trying to get Chewbacca back to his home planet, which I don't think is actually called Kashyyyk in this. It's something else. Um, Bromley, I think. <laughs> To his sort of sitcom family <laughs> of Wookiees. Millennium just trying to make it down the A2. <laughs> that would have been a better special. So he's trying to get back home for Life Day, which is the Wookiee's equivalent of Christmas, I suppose, is perhaps the easiest way of putting it. Chewbacca's family are preparing for Life Day. His, his mum, I think? No, it's his father, his wife, and his child. Oh, okay, right. Right, okay, That's I didn't get that. <laughs> no, it, it, you don't. You kind of have to look it up um, afterwards. It, it takes a lot of time. Listener, what you have to understand is that, of course, Wookiees don't speak English. So for the, and there's no subtitles there in There are no subtitles. It's just a bunch of people in, in Wookiee suits roaring at each other, for the most part, it, it, with, with sort of deleted scenes or unused footage from, from A New Hope spliced in for when, for when for, I mean, Darth Vader, there's footage of Darth Vader used in it. It's Marla, Marla, Itchy, and Lumpy. That's the three characters. And obviously I think what they were doing is... Lumpy? It, lumpy, yeah. Is and that the kid? Those three, those three characters have kind of now retroactively had their names long, uh, lengthened to, to more mythological names. These are all supposed to be nicknames of them. How did they do Lumpy? I mean, I'd love to hear how they, how they try to mythologise the word Lumpy. Okay, so uh, Lumpy is Lumpawaram, which is Chewbacca's son. Marla is Marla Tabuk, his wife. And his father, uh, Itchy, is Atichitakuk. I think what we're seeing here is this commercialisation of, of Star Wars, aren't we? The things that would later come yes. back to bite us with the Ewoks. They would later bite us <laughs> with the, Jar Jar yeah, Binks. Yeah, the early days, the first whisperings, a shadow 
yeah. if you will, of, of commercialisation. I don't know why we said we'd watch this. Well, it was supposed to be a challenge and we wanted to do something that didn't just essentially be, that didn't turn out to be a circle jerk around the original trilogy. So we were kind of like wanted to do, <laughs> perhaps we wanted to bring balance to the four stand, but both yeah. of us had heard these rumblings. I believe that, I well, believe there's a piece that, on the site. That Tom Mr. Bond. Tom yeah. Bond has written a Citizen Kane of Awful about this, and I feel like we should have just left it there. Yeah, um, I don't know why we subjected ourselves to it. It is a cheese dream of uh, of a piece of art, uh, if you could call it that. There, there is a there art is, is a strong word. Various cameos, one of which is from an Oscar-winning actor who plays a kind of mechanic. Yeah, uh, yeah in yeah. it, who, spe- who spends most of his time trying to sell. In Del Boy-esque fashion, tat to the Empire. It's just you've got a lady doing a kind. Of, you've got two music videos in it. One of which is is a piece of erotic material, as far as I was concerned. Uh, late, uh, and then there's just so that, what, what the, the, the weird dream thing that the, the weird the dream old thing man, that the, the old, old man, man is Chewbacca looking has. to almost be masturbating over. Yes, I assume that's what that was. Yeah, you've got a, a cartoon in which. The child, Chewbacca's child, watches a cartoon on kind of Wookiee Saturday morning television. Whilst in Nazi fashion, the Empire goes through his house like they're looking for Anne Frank. And he goes, oh, I'll just bung a cartoon on. What's meta weird about that is that it's supposed to be the introduction to Boba Fett. However, what happens is that he ends up watching his own father being part of that adventure. That's never referenced again. I mean, it's so... So many people I've, I've heard warned George Lucas against this. So yeah. Many said, well, well, George Lucas wasn't hardly it. involved in it. Apparently, in later uh, interviews, he said, oh, I didn't know. Now, a lot of the crew of Terminator said to say that. he was watching the dailies all, <laughs> every week, but apparently he's now claimed, no, I had nothing to do with this. Um, well, you would, wouldn't you? But uh, weirdly, everyone else did. There is a cameo from all the main stars. They do kind of nick bits from A New Hope to I mean, crowbar Vader in. I don't know what Lucas had on them No, to get them into this... Right. Luke Skywalker does a little cameo. He's got more makeup on than Michael Jackson in his final years. I was convinced that wasn't Mark Hamill. He doesn't blink in it either. Watch it again. He does oh, not blink the whole time. Unnerving. The Harrison Ford is basically spending the whole time looking at the camera going, you what? Well, Han Solo, is, you can see it in his eyes. He's screaming, help me, help me. That's this. <laughs> No, no reward is worth this. Praying for a, for a bridge sequence with Kylo Ren, I think, at any point. Do you know what the worst thing about it is? Is that not only is it terrible, not only does it eat and gobble up the, uh, an hour and 30 minutes of your time, the worst thing about it is it's a terrifying piece of visual material. I, I was genuinely disturbed by a lot of it in a very unsettling way. And the Wookiees are, are very terrifying things to watch in here for in, in a surreal way. I can't even look at... Chewbacca's child without having this kind of uh, rake you of seem to have fear. Broken out in a cold sweat. I, just I, talking I, about it. I genuinely was. A, it was. It was a very it's, unsettling thing to watch. It's. It, I mean, it is just weird. When and you watch that woman, when that kind of intergalactic Delia Smith oh, starts preparing the bantha, oh. and then it's like uh, and beat and beat whisk and, and whisk yeah. and stir and beaten with, and then she's got like six arms. it up into a frenzy. Yeah, she's like kind of an octopus, isn't she? That's it's, it's a very unsettling thing to watch. I, I I didn't get any enjoyment out of it. Even that kind of thing, they go, oh, it's worth watching for the Boba Fett cartoon. It, it's it's a it? it's very poorly animated uh, thing. That's, that's, I mean, uh, Boba, Fett, uh, Boba Fett comes across as a cad in it almost. He calls everyone friend. <laughs> it kind of grabs the wheel of cannon and puts it through the, the motorway bumper. <laughs> You begin to question your love for Star Wars. You begin to question your own sanity watching yeah. it. It's a lot of hallucinatory images and weird sounds. I question my passion for living, actually. I, uh... 
I think, I think it was either me or the show was going to go off at one point. <laughs> if you want to dig it out upon your heads, be it. But it's, it's Star Wars' lowest moment. And after the Attack of the Clones, that's yes, saying, that's, that's really saying that's something. Certainly, I mean, yes, below even Hayden Christensen's casting. I told my, I told my flatmate about this. And he'd never heard of it. And now he holds me personally responsible for ruining Star Wars. Yeah, and he hasn't even watched it. And he's even watched it. Yeah. Just the knowledge of this has has besmirched his once untainted mm. view of this I wonderful can't, saga. I can't and won't watch it again, but it will haunt me for the rest of my life. I do feel it has got this Pazuzu quality. I don't even want to say it anymore because I feel like it, on your television it will just flicker back yes, on. Yeah, just flicker and on. And whisk and stir and meat and... Uh. So let us move on. And never speak of it again. We celebrate a day of peace, a day of harmony. Which Chris said this. So I feel this is a nice, uh, a nice tonic this is to, kind of to the to the last that sort of fever discussion we just had. Tonic, about. sulfuric acid, tonic, burning any of that conversation away from our yes. memories. And as we said, we won't speak of it again. So anyway, right. moving moving swiftly. So on. what is this feature? Uh, the feature that is vastly overtaking some film old, some film new is our spinal. Feature. Well, this is another one of our yes. It's rapidly becoming a, a, a mainstay of of the podcast, and for good reason, I think. You, I, you, I certainly you, enjoy it. You shouldn't, you know. I'm not knocking it down. Poo poo it. I would never poo poo it. This is which Chris said this. Well, I not now that I am crown champion. All right, that might. That's why it's change. coming back. That might soon change. Yeah. You'll see. Every month I pose to Chris a quote, a quote from a famous Christopher. Mm. Or Chris. Yep. I'll give you three options. Yeah, three separate Christophers. Three separate Christophers, and it is Chris's job to, to guess which Chris said this. Which, who is the quote attributed what to? What is the score? Is it 3-2 at the moment? I believe or? it's 3-2 to, okay. to you. Okay. Yeah. So, after I tried to throw you last time. Yeah. With Christopher Lloyd, I think. You but, did, but the uh, the... McLovin one, the Mohammed McLovin one that you did before that was just a stroke of genius. Mm. This month, um, perhaps inevitably, it is a Star Wars themed lineup. Okay. However, I have, when I said that, I didn't realise actually there were so few Christophers involved in the production of Star Wars. So I'll give you the quote and then I'm going to read you the three names and. There's a grin. Why forgive why me a grin for, forgive me for the, for the names because okay. they're not, you know. They are <coughs> real people though. They are real people, yeah. yes, yes. I just spent a lot. I spent perhaps a lot more time than was necessary finding Christophers. Okay. I don't really have any interest in playing the same part again and again. Let's just keep everything crossed. That doesn't happen. So that's your quote. Okay. The three people are. I've never heard this quotation before. It's not Chris Guinness, is it? <laughs> Christopher, later to be known as Alec Guinness. Yes. <laughs> Our old friend, Sir Christopher Lee. Sure. And now here it gets a bit spotty. Okay. Hayden Christensen. Oh, for Christ's sake. Who, of course, played uh, Anakin in the prequels. And uh, <clears throat> Gwendoline Christie, who is, of course... Oh, for... Captain, Captain Phasma in, in, in The Force Awakens. And Jesus Chris. <laughs> is that the last one? <laughs> yes, yeah, the last one. No. Uh, Look, there are very few Christopher's so, right, involved. So, Chris, so, so Christopher Lee... Hayden Chris... Christensen, right, and Gwendoline Christie. That's, this is going to be a complete punt. And the worst thing about this is that so Christopher Lee has played Dracula since I think before Bram Stoker <laughs> wrote, actually yeah. wrote the original <laughs> wrote the novel. Original. You've got Hayden 
Christensen, 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 yeah, Christensen. Uh, well, yeah. he kind of is only famous because he played the same part over and over. That be it, that of Anakin Skywalker and later um, and Darth Vader. Although actually, only played him twice, didn't he? Uh, and Gwendolyn Christie, Christie, yeah, is has made again a living from she's been uh, she's, uh, um, she's of Brienne Tarth. of Tarth in Game of Thrones, a part that she's had to play for lots Co- of episodes. Copy, yeah. Uh, and uh, so she must have played her for what four coming up to four years. Yeah. So that's about forty. Episodes I mean, I didn't just pick this quote out of thin air. And I, she I is, deliberately chose these names. She's uh, contracted. I imagine. Well, she's definitely contracted as Captain Phasma into the next film. Obviously, they probably don't want to give any spoilers away about the final film. So that is very, very difficult. Can you give me the quotation one more time, please? I don't really have any interest in playing the same part again and again. Let's just keep everything crossed. That doesn't happen. Right. I mean, to be honest with you, I think Hayden Christensen is just begging for work at the moment. So let's bang him straight out. Let's <laughs> knock him out. So, uh, do you know what? I'm going I'm to say it's Sir Christopher Lee. And the reason I'm saying that is that Gwendolyn Christie has... I mean, if she was saying that, I think if I was DB and DB of Game of Thrones, I'd be chucking my P45 at her quicker, <laughs> quicker than, a, than a Valerian steel sword. Nice uh, reference. Hayden Christen, Christensen... As I said, I think he's in pantomime in Grimsby at the moment, so I, I don't think he's too worried. So, so Christopher Lee, I know he's played Dracula, I know he's played Saruman, um, I know he played Dooku, but yeah, let's go for him. Okay, the answer is Gwendolyn Christie. Jesus, do we need to so call DB and DB? Because I imagine they they're already, they'll be listening to this. She'll be killed off in the next season. Yeah, <laughs> and Phasma is currently being crucified, <laughs> Allah Jesus Chris, as we speak. <laughs> Oh, well, thanks. That's been the, the the Christmas Christmas special. Yeah, of which Chris Chris said this. And what is it? Thrill. 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 There it goes up on the shelf. I said earlier in the episode this is going to be one of the Star Wars films. Yeah. Um, I can reveal now exclusively that it is the Phantom Menace. <laughs> Imagine that, though. Like uh, we said, that we've already spoken about the Force Awakens. We've already spoken about um, a New Hope. So we'll knock those two straight out. It kind of only can be two films now, can't it? It can be The Empire Strikes Back or Return Attack of the, the Jedi <laughs> or Attack of the Yeah, and I think we've dissed the other three, haven't we? So, so the shelf, ladies and gentlemen, is is a metaphorical shelf of of films that we that we ripped out of Roger Ebert's house. <laughs> Yes, all right, look, it was a, you came up with this idea. Well, I didn't come up with it. As I said, I think America's greatest all right. film institution... The Pulitzer Prize-winning late Roger Ebert yeah. came up with this idea of, of, of his films, you know, greatest films of all time. Yeah. We've repackaged and, and hacked it around and made it into the shelf, yeah. whereby we put our favourite... His is like a mahogany shelf made from the tree in the Garden of Eden. Like ours was ours a bit of plastic that we, that we nicked from, you know... From a skip that we walk past one one autumnal evening, yes. but this is kind of the shelf that if Dan and I were to live together, uh, or when we inevitably have to live together, what would be on our shelves of the greatest films of all time? Yeah, it's a mixture of our favourites, a mixture of, of critically acclaimed stuff that you know that we love. That we love. This is, is the first time ever, though, we've done something different. Yeah, normally we take it in turns, mm. but now we have we are putting up a film together as mm. one. So it is not, listeners, the Phantom Menace. Obviously, it's it's not. Any of the Return people. of the Jedi is not... It's not Attack of the Clones mm. or Revenge of the Sith. It is, of course, Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. Arguably the, one of the best sequels yeah, it's kind of ever the, made. Yeah, and the pin, uh, I suppose people kind of see it as the pinnacle of the Star Wars epic. 
don't they? It's commonly accepted to be the best one. Although, mm. to be honest with you, you know, it's got some stiff competition. To go back now. to some film old, some film new. I'm not sure if The Force Awakens is actually now my favourite, uh, but we can't put that on the shelf just yet. No, it's not so, on DVD yet. So let's bung uh, this this, let's put, this, one put this old crap up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not afraid. You will be. You will be. So, The Empire Strikes Back. Not written or directed by George Lucas, as we said earlier in the, in the no, episode. No, story by George Lucas. Story by George Lucas. Produced by George enough. Lucas. Directed by Irvin Kirshner and written by uh, Lawrence Kasdan and Lee Brackett. Lawrence Kasdan, as you've said, obviously has now been involved in the, in the development of The Force Awakens as yeah. well. And who will be overseeing the Han Solo anthology film as well. That's actually really? His, I didn't know about that. And that's going to be his final Star Wars film. He said that, you know, he's... He, his entire career has been Star Wars related. He's gonna he's did the Force Awakens. He's gonna yeah. do the Han Solo film, yeah. and that's it. Fair enough. Uh, the Han Solo film that Harrison Ford has said uh, come out and said it was nothing to think. do with. Yeah, and also the fact that every young actor is they've had two and a half thousand auditions. I know, incredible. Isn't that's it? amazing. So yet to find, yeah. yet to find that. Phil Han Lord Solo. and Chris Miller. I just can't wait. But anyway, back to the matter in hand. We're putting Empire Strikes Back on the shelf. Why are we putting the Empire Strikes Back on the shelf? Because it does everything right, doesn't it? <laughs> but it's forged. In the fire of a new hope, it is it's a it's a wonderfully created space opera epic. It makes Darth Vader even more villainous. It makes Luke Skywalker actually more heroic, and not the kind of fairly damp squib that he is in A New Hope. Leia is like our kind of kick-ass heroine in it. Han Solo is his brilliant, cocky, heroic, roguish self. You have introductions to characters like Yoda. Uh, it does everything right, doesn't it? Boba Fett makes his first appearance after, yeah. <laughs> after our, the acclaimed holiday special. Although, if you watch the version of A New Hope where... George Lucas shoehorns in Jabba the Hutt's first appearance. Oh, of course, yeah. Boba Fett is in the background. He's in the background of that. Of that. Okay, yeah. fair enough. No lines at all, but there yeah. he is, one of the bounty hunters, one, one of the uh, one of the scum that Harrison Ford, refer- Han Solo, refers to. Hmm. But that, that's that's irrelevant. But You're yeah, right. It does it, everything absolutely right. everything right. It is exactly what you want from a sequel. And we've discussed sequels before on this podcast, and we've yeah. talked about how so many sequels aren't any better than the original. But what you want from a sequel is to build on the original mm. and be better and up the stakes and you know just ramp everything up to 11 Hmm. and that's exactly what the Empire Strikes Back does yeah and it kind of doesn't have that emphasis or that kind of pressure on it that lots of trilogies do like traditionally if in a trilogy the second film is the best because it doesn't have to set everything up and it doesn't have to conclude everything at the same time Hmm. you can get jumped straight into the uh, into the story and you don't have to wrap everything up with pretty bows I think that's commonly why it's accepted that The Godfather Part 2 is the best of that trilogy The Dark Knight is the best of that trilogy The Two Towers is the best of that trilogy etc and The Empire Strikes Back is, is uh, exactly the same in fact I think it's so good that people now say oh that's the Empire Strikes Back of that trilogy don't they they've said that <laughs> yeah. about the Dark Knight it's become parlance yeah, yeah. sort of seeped into, into, you know, into our discourse yeah. it's hard to know what else to say <laughs> A lot we of go people, into detail yeah go? a lot of people kind of cite the twist won't they it's like the biggest uh, yes. twist in cinematic and I, history and I was saying to you before we went we, we recorded this wouldn't it have been marvellous to be in there in the cinema in 1980 and see that twist for the first time? Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. It was so special this week going to see The Force Awakens and seeing those twists and it's great to see those the first time and not know that they were happening well it's because of those closing uh, yeah. moments of the empire strikes back that i went to the midnight screening of the force awakens is you know that's yeah. the seed that grows i into mean that hype, isn't i mean it? i sadly by the time i got around to watching the empire strikes back 
Darth Vader revealing that he, you know, no, I am your Kill father. father yeah. Everyone knew it. Mm. See, I didn't know it. Well, you were lucky then. You I was so lucky because I saw it that following Saturday. I, I kind of, I could gulp down the original trilogy in three bites uh, yeah. in less than a month. Whereas the poor bastards who had to wait two years or whatever, and then have Homer Simpson walking down the uh, walking down the row that stretched around the corner and yeah. have it ruined for them. Yeah, I think the idea even of a spoiler came from the Empire Strikes Back, didn't it? That's why we love it so much. Yeah, so much is built upon. But you're right. One of the greatest model. one of the greatest twists of 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 cinema, you know, yeah. up there with uh, Soylent Green and uh, and what Kaiser Soze. And Kaiser and Soze. Yeah. I think it's got one of my favourite sequences from. Star Wars epic and that's the Han Solo Carbonite scene because everything about that is engineered with such elegance and poise yeah. as you see you're the famous I love you I know yeah. you've got the imposing figure of Darth Vader the like kind of scene as he falls into the Carbonite and Chewie's anguish at seeing his friend frozen everything about that the the plume of smoke that comes up like that for me we've spoken about it before where this kind of chocolate box of cinema delights that would be you know the caramel filled one it's straight in there i love it so much and i still have those chills i turn into a, a pimply goose yes i mean i i absolutely i've one absolutely love the opening battle on hoth I of course yeah you know that is with the ad staggering yeah, along staggering, i mean that's just wonderful every yeah. beat in this film every pulse that you feel is yeah wonderful the whole Dagobah oh well I mean Yoda of Yoda course. is again amazing <laughs> Yoda's introduction even if now watching it back it's there's a you know can't help but hear a little bit of Miss Piggy in Frank Oz's performance <laughs> yeah maybe you're, um, you're, you're right sorry to shit on everything but, but, but even that's why I think the fact that J.J. Abrams made such a big deal about going back to practical effects in The Force Awakens mm. Sydney is because we see masterful puppetry and yeah. stuff like this it's a really interesting um I was reading up, I've been reading a lot about it all recently, and George Lucas was adamant about, about the, the original trilogy films. Um, when they made all the sets and all the droids and all the, you know, everything, everything all the sort of shiny, futuristic stuff, mm. he insisted that everything be battered around a bit. Yeah. And dirtied up and made to look lived in. Yeah. And one of the greatest criticisms of, one of the many criticisms, I suppose, of the prequel trilogy. Oh, the only criticism. <laughs> Is that everything is so shiny yeah, and sleek and, and, and chrome and as like and, and doesn't have and, and too CGI perfect yeah. as they might say and it's and it's strange because of course Lucas directed all of those and I wonder at what point he decided there, there's not this junkyard effect isn't there like even I was reading up very recently about how Han Solo's iconic blaster kind of was made and it's actually made from like three or four different uh, guns right, and yeah. all this kind of stuff and yeah Empire Strikes Back capitalizes on that junkyard feel of it you know mm. everything shouldn't look brand spanking new it doesn't you don't want that kind of gleam off it do you I mean like you get the impression on Hoth that they're all kind of you know they've just made the best of it they've come in and they've yeah, kind of bit, bit tried of to fit in around like you know quite you know obviously inhabitable planet and yeah to make the best of it and, it, and it's all very Rel hazardous. reliant robin with wings you know, you know yeah. kind of springs to mind <laughs> that kind of stuff doesn't it but yeah that's why it's up on the shelf is it's, it's one junkyard cinema is a is a superb sequel um perhaps the greatest sequel maybe of all time it's certainly a, a high point for the star wars epic uh, as we've kind of come to calling it and yeah. it's all of the characters that you love firing on all cylinders wow what an ending who'd have thought darth vader was luke skywalker's father oh, thank, thank, you. Oh, thank you mr blow the picture for me <laughs> And now time for 2015 to 1. <laughs> kind of a little spurious Channel 4 daytime 
Oh, Wait, I don't know if that's even still going 15 to 1, is it? I have no idea. No, but anyway, this is 2015 to 1. So this is our, yeah. two, our In top In no tens. way a copyright infringement. Oh, God, no. So yes, we are, as, as promised, as teased at the very beginning, Chris and I are going to reveal our top 10 films of the year. Yeah. Um, these aren't a combined list, I, these are two no, individual no, lists. Two, two individual lists. I don't know what your top ten is. You don't know what my top ten is, unless you were sneaking at my notebook. Uh, I then. didn't I didn't sneak um, it. I mean I couldn't read your no, I was gonna say, I've been GPs, you read S, my yeah. doctor's handwriting. Mine's written in blood, so <laughs> <laughs> I have an idea. I have a, I have a general idea of what I think is on your list. Yeah. And I think you probably have an idea of what's well, on Well mine's list. been in flux for the last few weeks, to be honest with it's you. It's been a difficult It's been bloody difficult. It's difficult, been a real more difficult than the last couple of years. Mm. We're going to race through the first few, aren't we? Just a couple of lines. Yeah, a couple of lines on each, and then I think when we get to the top three, we'll have a bit more of a wider discussion. Yeah, more of a, a talk about why we put them, why they've got those top three slots. Okay. In ten. <laughs> so for me, it's uh, Amy, as if Capaldi is uh, kind of. I say kind of follow up to Senna, but it's like the Sen- Senna stencil. Say that three times fast. But with the Amy Winehouse story, very moving, very emotive, and very enlightening documentary about uh, you know it's kind of tragic character, unfortunately made mm. by the media. It's, it's, no, it's more an indictment of the media than perhaps her. It's not an easy film to watch, is no. it? And, it? and it does make you feel, you know, it just makes you look back at yourself and think, Christ, we, we did of, that. We yeah. contributed to this tragic story. No, good choice. Uh, my number 10 is, is Trash. Oh, I didn't see Trash, but I did. I remember your review of it. Yeah, I reviewed this, I reviewed this film for the site. And I, I went in not thinking very much about it, but it is an absolutely magical film with a, with a great script from Richard Curtis, believe it or not. Mm. And and just it, it it is it's incredibly life affirming and and very enjoyable. So one to grab. Yeah. Uh, in nine for me is the Duke of Burgundy. Peter Strickland. Yeah, I think it's actually his first film since twenty uh, twelve's Barbarian um, Sound Studio. I think you recommended me that mm. back in the radio days. Yes, but I've not seen Duke of Burgundy. Duke of so. Burgundy. Yeah, fascinating. Kind of probably maybe the definitive film about um, sadomasochism now to European lesbians and just what being in an S and M relationship is. It's fascinating. A very yeah. complex. A very rewarding film and kind of just shames the likes of Fifty Shades of Grey to be like the kind of popcorny dross it really is, but well worth a watch. My number nine, in a complete, uh, you know, 360 from yours, is Jurassic World. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I think you know why I love Jurassic World. No, it's the definitive S&M film, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I hear, for dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in uh, number eight for me is The Martian, a film that we kind of really gushed about a few months back. A uh, real return mm. to form for Ridley Scott. Very funny uh, and a kind of real emotive, edgy-seat science fiction film. In eight for me is the Diary of a Teenage Girl. Okay, we saw that together. Didn't we? we did see that one together, and it was unlike any film about teenage love stories that I've ever seen, and yeah. that's why I've put it in my top ten. Well worth a watch. I really liked Definitely, that film yeah, too. See it's, it. In at number seven for me is Carol. Just pure elegance, this film. And again, it does what Brokeback Mountain did correctly: is that it follows the story of love rather than perhaps an emphasis, a kind of glib emphasis on on homosexuality. Uh, is probably the classiest film of the year. Uh, my number seven is Birdman. It's just so weird yeah. and and um, it's probably the closest thing you can create to a dream, isn't it's, it? It's so enga- yes, it's yes, it's so engaging though, and and all the performances are, are you know everyone everyone is, to borrow a phrase you used earlier in, in the podcast everyone's firing on full cylinders. Yeah. A great turn from Michael Keaton. Lindsay Duncan is is fabulous as this acerbic theatre critic, yeah. uh, and it's just again it's it's unlike. It's very unlike anything else I saw this year. Uh, in uh, number six for me is Whiplash. 
very first film that I think we actually reviewed together in this calendar year. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's just euphoric in a kind of very dangerous way. Kind of reflects that S and M relationship in the Duke of Burgundy. What what is sadomasochism? I don't know. Um, it doesn't obviously go down the sexual route of it, but there is something no, very sadomasochistic yes, about yes. this film. It's it's a very dangerous film. Yeah, um, it has more perhaps in common with Secretary than Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they didn't put that on the posters. Um, my number six is. Mistress America. Oh, okay. Which is I... Noah Baumbach's sort of screwball comedy. Or, yeah. Or, or, or hark back to the classic screwball comedies of, of, of the 30s yeah, and 40s. Greta Gerwig is just too good um, these days, isn't she? It, it's just, I mean, it's such a fun and witty film. Yeah. And I, you, I challenge anyone to not come out of it with a huge smile on their face. Best Woody Allen film that Woody Allen never made, I think. <laughs> That's a very, yes. Uh, in at number five for me is Birdman, uh, Boxer Magic. As I said, it's the closest thing I think Hollywood has produced in the last few years to being a dream. I feel like it would kind of be absurd for me to really add anything else that you haven't said so yeah that's not my number five uh, my number five is whiplash oh, okay uh, and for many of the reasons you've already cited i came out of that film and i was exhausted it yeah was, it's, it's, it's such an experience yeah it's a, it's a very exhausting film that's a perfect word um four for me is the, the best documentary of the year and certainly the best documentary i've watched really for a few years is the look of silence is the follow-up to uh, the act of killing about the Indonesian mm. genocide. Yeah, I remember you raving about these films. The act of killing was in my top 10 from when that film came out as well, in my top 10 list. Uh, but Joshua Oppenheimer is kind of even... And I I, I, dare, I dare call this a sequel because it, that would be just too ridiculous a word for it in being such serious documentaries. But yeah. for me, the, the look of silence is even better. It's a very, very harrowing film and it is a, a film that you must go and see. Must see. Okay. I, I, I sadly missed it, so I will try and catch that. So my number four is is The Martian. Mm. I have not enjoyed a film this year probably as much. Yeah, you know, sort of chuckling away throughout and just really enjoying Matt Damon's performance. Uh, and I feel very few. I feel that there are very few actors who could carry the film in the same way. Him and way. Tom Hanks. We said that before. <laughs> yeah. But you've touched on everything that I wanted to say about that. So what we're going to do now? We're going to just kind of do a slightly larger summation of. Yeah, I think we're into the top. Top three now. To the top three now. So what's so my number three is Alex Garland's directorial debut is Ex Machina, ah, which yes. for a long, long time, really until the summer, was my favourite film of the year. In fact, it was my favourite film of the year until the number two came along. Ooh. Which um, <laughs> I, I, I really now when I'm I saw to think back through the calendar when I, when I when I saw Ex Machina in in January, I kind of went in looking forward to it, but I definitely didn't expect to have been so mm. moved as I was. It's kind of like a feature-length Black Mirror episode. <laughs> and uh, it's just creepy and existential and fascinating all in one. And very sleek, very engineered. Right. And uh, it kind of deserves really to be the best film of the year. It's just a shame that a couple of other people have kind of come <laughs> along and, and stole this. Damn them. It's thunder. Well, it's on my Christmas list. So hopefully, yeah. if my parents get it for if, me. Well, Santa Claus, yeah. If, sorry, if Father Christmas brings it to yeah. me. Are you well, listening... You better, you better be listening, Kringle. Uh, if you don't, I believe it's now on Amazon Prime. Ah, okay. So well, I will try to catch it. If I, can. I really want to see it. I'm, I was just, uh, one of the ones I was sh- as, as sad to miss. Mm. My number three it couldn't, be, couldn't be more different okay. from Ex Machina. It is Inside Out, one of Pixar's best films. I feel like I might say this every time they bring out a film. But one of Pixar's best. Really? Do you, have you said that every time? No, not, it no out? not every time. No, there are a few exceptions. Cars too. Sorry, Cars too. Inside Out. Oh, it's just it's just amazing, mm. and it's so full of imagination and wit, and it's so moving, and I it, one of the best animated films 
of this year, the best animated film of this year by my list, and and one I'd happily watch over and over again. See, I think it's ever so slightly overrated. But I think you should get out of my house. <laughs> Let me do the last two and then I'll go. Number no. two is going to be Mad Max Fury Road. I thought it would be. Uh, again, deserves to be the best film of the year. And I feel like, I mean, this is one of the few films I think along here, perhaps one of maybe three, that we uh, have extensively spoken about. So I don't really want to add too much. You can always go back to the back catalogue and listen to that. But Mad Max Fury Road is is an emotional visceral experience and mm. orgasm for the eyes I believe that perhaps you said during our wider discussion but just so good uh, and the score the cinematography is is wonderful and um, who knew that a film about a road trip to somewhere and then back again would be just so amazing I think our one and two are probably just switched okay so my number two film of the year is one we've already discussed today and that is Star Wars The Force Awakens mm. I'd like to have made it number one but I didn't want to let nostalgia Things of nostalgia affect how I was let down Max. Let down Max. So, if I may mm. skip ahead, Mad Max was my film of the year. Yeah, and it was from the moment I saw it. And think nothing else is pretty. Well, you know, things have come close. Star Wars came close, but I didn't want to. You know, the thing that would have tipped Star Wars over, I think, would have been my sort of love for the saga. Yeah. in general. Well, well I'll yeah. openly say that I think technically, uh, uh, that, and I, that Mad Max probably is the best film of the year. And it, for me, it's less than even the width of my hair between yes. the two. It's so close. But yeah. Mad Max, I mean, I came out of Mad Max sort of shaking sand from my jacket. Yeah. <laughs> so, Where did you see that? In your Tatooine? Or... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jakku, I was there. <laughs> Sliding down with Daisy Ridley. Just well. <laughs> well. <laughs> oh, dear. So there's my top two, my top three, Inside Out, Star Wars, and Mad Max. And mine being Star Wars The Force Awakens. I thought uh, so. You surprised Mad me. Max Fury Road and X Machina. But I mean, to be honest with you, I think all 20... Well, I don't know how many I mean, films that we had, but those two top tens... Uh, that's the closest top three I think we've had in a while. Yeah, maybe Possibly. ever. Possibly. And interesting to note that n- not a Marvel film among them. No, for, again, I mean, for a long time. I, I liked Ant-Man, kind of disappointed by Age of Ultron, but we'll see. Mm. It's been a spectacular year. It has. Good luck, 2016. It's true. All of it. The dark side. The Jedi. The real. My name is Max. My world is fire and blood. Once, I was a cop. A road warrior searching for a righteous cause. Housekeeping, don't have a jingle for that, Dan. No, never have, never will. No, that's kind of that's the only guarantee of this podcast, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Uh, it's been a great show. We're not going to take too much of your time up now, other than to say thank you so much. It's been a, This has been two years we've been doing this show now. Yeah. And I think it's been uh, five since we've been broadcasting together. So thank you. We, we do this because people listen to it, and that is you. Incredibly. <laughs> if you're listening to us on iTunes, then uh, we're also available on SoundCloud if you want to play us through the desktop. If you're playing, uh, playing us through SoundCloud but you want to take us on the go, we're also on iTunes and you can click subscribe to that uh, we are the official podcast for oneroomwithaview.com there is so much going on there at the moment you know despite the fact we're all seemingly climbing over the walls to see Star Wars either for the first second maybe even third time there is still a lot of lot of content going out you can follow us at one room with a view numerical one you are at Mr. Orton M-I-S-T-E-R yep. I'm at the Prestonite you can look for us on Facebook as well one room with a view other than that, I just really want to say thank you for listening. It's, again, fantastic. It's such a privilege for us to do a second year. Yeah. Um, perhaps we'll do Periscope again. I thought that was quite fun, Dan. We'll have another stab If you're it. listening to us in the kind of first 24 hours of this coming up, I believe we should still be on there. Um, if not, then try and catch us next time. Other than that, have a very, very Merry Christmas. 
for the love of Christ, go and see, or love of Chris, <laughs> go and see Star Wars The Force Awakens. Have a happy new year and we'll be back in January. May the force be with you. Cheerio. That was my first cheerio ever. Can I keep that? No. <laughs> <laughs>